The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Pray with me. God, we ask that you speak, that you move, that you lead, that you stir our hearts. We ask that you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We ask that you stir our hearts so that we can feel. God, as we look at your word, would you just move? Would you use this time for your glory, for your purpose, and would you challenge us this morning that we can leave here having encountered you through your word? So we pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, you can have a seat. Well, good morning. Um, church, we're in a, an interesting time. Uh, there is a theme that, that runs kind of deep in us. It runs deep throughout all of history. There is this theme that, that it's been kind of a marking of, of being a human, right? There's this theme that you, can, that you can see, you can trace through every single period of time. There is a, a tribalness in us. And here's what I mean by that. There has always been, and you can trace this, no matter where you look in your history book or in your news feeds, you can trace this, that there has always been this tendency in us to see the world through the lens of us versus them. Us and them. Our people and those people, our nation and those nations. We see conquest, division, war, slavery. Us, them. Us, them. This theme, this tendency is, is pretty deeply embedded in us. And it's this tribalness that works together. And here's what it does. It's our tendency to want to try to gather together with those that we see as the us for strength and camaraderie, and, and to gather against those who we have identified as the them, us and them. So we've been confronted with this in our news feeds lately, even over the last couple weeks. We've seen coming from Virginia, we've seen some um, various white supremacist groups that have kind of come together. And, and they have this idea that has been kind of put out there that of racial, racial superiority. Us versus them. Now, to a much greater extent, we see this as you look through history and all of the movements that we've seen. So if it's not all that unlike the, the, the tendencies that we saw in the Nazi party of Hitler's Germany or apartheid in South Africa. Or let's go to our scripture in the Old Testament where we see the Jews under the slavery of the Egyptians in the time of Moses. Us versus them. Now, 
although it runs deep in us, we kind of sense that there's something broken about this. We kind of feel that there's something wrong, that there's something broken uh, about this, but it runs deep. Church, today, you and I live in this moment in time when there is a collective acknowledgement that something is broken. Something's not right. Uh, Many in our world, in our nation, are looking around, they're reading their news, they're seeing what's going on, and, and they're looking for answers. Reconciliation, peace, unity, brotherhood. Our world is looking for these things, and they are wondering if it is possible. And we... As the people of God, as the church, have this unique opportunity to look our culture, to look our world, to look our community in the eye and to say, you know that reconciliation, you know that peace, that that bond, that unity, that brotherhood that you're looking for? Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about his gospel. But there's a problem. Here's the problem. It is really difficult to call our world to the reconciliation and the peace of Christ when we, as the church, as the people of God, are not reconciled together. It's really difficult when we as the church are not at peace, when we as the church don't have unity. It's difficult to say, hey world, in Christ there is reconciliation when the body of Christ is broken against each other. This is why we we read John 17 earlier in our worship, where in verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their words. So this is you and me, all who believe in Christ, who confess Christ. And then in verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And listen to this, because here is the why so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become, again, perfectly one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them as you loved me. Let me read one more that's, that's even more clear that Jesus says in, in chapter 13 of John, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then listen to this in verse 35, by this, your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, hey, church, in a world that's looking for reconciliation, in a world that is looking for peace, in a world that is looking for unity and love, they are going to look at you and you are going to showcase the wonder of the gospel right before their eyes. They're going to see me when they see 
you. You are going to show them the reconciliation of Christ by living reconciled lives together. You're going to show them the peace of of Christ by living peaceful lives together. What a call that is, church. What an incredible call that is. And if only we could grasp kind of the magnitude of this. Now, um, as we uh, turn our attention this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. Acts, if you have your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to land. While you're getting there, if you're here and you didn't bring your Bible, we have some hardback black ones somewhere around you. Just grab one of those. You can use one of those. And if you're here and you actually, if you don't own a Bible, um, we would love to give you that one. So just take it. There's no strings attached. Just take it home with you. You can write in it, do whatever you need to do. But that's, that's our gift to you. We'd love to give that to you. Um, But as we dive in to Acts 15, I want to give you just a little bit of context because a couple of things, absolutely crazy things, have just happened. So first, we see in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you remember, Jesus um, said to his followers, hey, I'm about to go. I'm about to go back to be with my Father, um, but I am sending to you my Spirit. And he says, in fact, it's better for you that I leave. Because he who is coming, it is better for you. He is going to come. Well, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus' words come true. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, this happens. A room full of Jewish followers of Jesus are indwelled by the Spirit of God. He falls and does just a miraculous work in them and through them, just as Jesus said was going to happen. And the world sees this and takes notice. Just amazing. Fast forward with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, um, there is a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Gentile man. And Acts chapter 2 paints this picture of something that happens in his house. Uh, Acts chapter 2 uh, or Acts chapter 10, rather, paints this picture of the spirit of God falling on Cornelius in his household, a Gentile house, and a Gentile household, indwelling them just as they were indwelled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so Peter is there, he's seeing this, and he's thinking, now what do I do with that? What, What do I do? Is this okay? I mean, they're unclean Gentiles here. Is this okay? And he concludes in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, I love this, anyone who hears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Do you hear that? So the church is wrestling with with this. What do we do? And so let's take it from there and let's fast forward to our text this morning in Acts 15, and I want us to walk through this. We're going to start in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Here's what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So do you hear the wrestle? You hear the fight again? You, you hear it? Um, here's the question. What do we do with these Gentiles? What do we do with these Gentiles? Do they have to become Jewish in order to come to Christ? 
Now, uh, these men were obviously here saying, yes, unless they're circumcised, unless they fulfill the customs of the Jewish people, the customs of Moses, then they cannot be saved. But then in in verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, I love that, It's, it's stated very cleanly, this was... A little heated here. They're wrestling through this. They're getting to the bottom of this. Paul and Barnabas, as we continue, and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So in the ancient church, Jerusalem was kind of the mothership. It was, it was, everything was kind of flowing out of Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth here. And Jerusalem was kind of the mothership. The leadership was there. And so this was such a big deal, church. That said, we got to go. We got to go to the top. We got to talk through this. We gotta, we've got to work through this. And so that's what happens. And so in verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers, right? Praise God, right? The, the people are coming to faith in Christ and God is is converting them by the power of the Spirit. Praise God. But, verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So again, we're right back to our question, what do we do with these Gentiles? Do they need to become more Jewish to follow Jesus? Do, in order to believe in Jesus, in order to belong to the people of Jesus, do they need to become more Jewish in order to become more savable? So in verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, I think they just understate this, church. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. This is a reference to Acts 10 that we just talked about. And in verse 8, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. I love this. By giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Peter saw it. Remember, Peter was there in Acts 2 on Pentecost. He was there in Acts 10 with the house of Cornelius. He saw it with his own two eyes and he said, that was the same spirit. Same spirit. And so in verse 9. And he, I love this, this he is God, all right? And God made no distinction between us and them. Now that's a profound statement. God made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter here is referencing the law, and he says, look, you and I both know we weren't saved by getting everything right. You and I both know that we weren't made savable by our ability to keep the law. 
And yet, why are we putting this burden, this yoke, on them? As though they need to become more savable before they are savable. Why are we doing this? This is nonsense. He said, he, our God, made no distinction between us and them. Peter says, hey, I was there. That was the same spirit of God. One spirit poured on these people in the same way. And then in verse 11, but we believed that we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. Not only did he pour out his spirit on them in the same way, but church, he saved both us and them in the same way. Church, this is beautiful. This is crucial, and I want us to talk about reconciliation here this morning. And I want us to see from this, I want us to notice from this uh, a few things. Uh, Number one, we are united in our condition. We are united in our condition. So if we just strip everything back for a moment, every one of us are sinners in need of the grace of God, period. At the end of the day, you are a sinner in need of grace. At the end of the day, God demonstrated his great love for you that while you were dead in your sin, he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that all that call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. At the end of the day, our God is rich in grace and mercy and love. And at the end of the day, here's what happens, church. The gospel levels the playing field just levels the playing field by saying no matter who you are or who you think you are, you are a sinner in need of the grace of God, period. We are united in this. This is your condition, and you have nothing to stand on, nothing to stand on that elevates you above anyone else, any other sinner. We are sinners in need of the grace of God. This is why Paul so often, but especially in 1 Corinthians, talks about how ridiculous it is for us to be boasting. Like, Why would you boast in that? You're standing on a level playing field and you're boasting. There's no room for boasting. Our boast is in Jesus Christ. This is our condition. We are united in it. We stand united in our condition. That's the first thing. But the second thing is we stand united in the gospel. Church, the basis of our unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 15 says, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. The gospel of Jesus Christ unites us. And I want to push this just a little more. No one, no culture, no one culture, no one people group, no one ethnic group, No one language, no one period can lay an exclusive claim on the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one, the gospel is not perfectly at home in any one particular culture. The the gospel is not owned by any one people. And, and, And here's the point. 
No person, no people need to convert to the culture of another people in order to become savable in the eyes of Jesus Christ. If we ever catch ourselves trying to get people to convert to our culture before they come to Jesus, we have missed it, church. We have missed it because the gospel transcends culture. The gospel transcends all of that. See, in Acts 15, their struggle, their tendency was to to kind of impose Jewishness, not a word, but you get it, on the Gentiles, to impose it on them, that they must convert to being Jewish before they could experience the fullness of life in Christ. But that's not the gospel because becoming Jewish doesn't make them any more savable. And that's Peter's argument here. The gospel has come to Christ and let the gospel infuse your life and your culture, no matter who you are. Now, I think for most of us here, we get that. I'm guessing that not many of us have had uh, Jewishness, there's the word again, forced on us in order that we might become Christians. And so we look at this and, and we say, oh, I get that. Well, let's zoom out a little bit here because this attitude remains still in our heart. This attitude kind of slips out so subtly, and I want to say something here that, okay, follow me. The church, the people of God, is not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's not an Asian thing. It's not a Hispanic thing. It's not an American thing. It's not a Western thing. It's not an Eastern thing. It's not a young thing. It's not an old thing. It's not a rich thing, and it is not a poor thing. It is not a male thing or a female thing. The gospel, the, the, the people of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ are wonderfully diverse and united in Christ Period. The gospel transcends ethnicity and culture and geography and language and socioeconomics and everything like that. Everything like that. Um, no one people, no one people own the people of God. No one culture. Um, our unity is in the word of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why I love, oh, I love the picture that is painted for us in Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, after it's all said and done, all said and done, the Bible paints this picture uh, in Revelation 7 when, when every tribe, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people come together to worship Jesus Christ. It is this wonderful picture of where we are headed. But that picture that is painted is not something that we just wait to happen then. It is something we strive for, church, today. We're not waiting on this. This is now. It starts now because our gospel unites us now. It unites us together. Unity, not uniformity. It's rich diversity, yet complete unity in the gospel. And so one, we need to understand, we are united in our condition together. We are all sinners in need of the grace of God, period. 
Number two, we are united in the gospel together that Christ came for sinners. Sinners from all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all ethnic groups. That through Christ we are saved and that the gospel meets us in our condition. Meets us where we are and offers salvation through Christ. Now, number three, and I want you to follow with me. Because those are true, number three, if, if in the family of God, in the church, for those who have been redeemed and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because we are united in our condition, because we are united in the gospel, I want you to hear me, there is no us versus them in the body of Christ. There is no us versus them in the body of Christ. Verse 9 in, in Acts 15 says, He, God, made no distinction between us and them. And if our God does not distinguish between us and them in the family of God, neither should we. Neither should we. I, I'm reminded again of Jonah. Forgive me, Jonah's on my mind. Uh, our church has... has journeyed through Jonah the last four weeks. We finished it last week, and I'm reminded of Jonah because Jonah in some ways seems to understand this. In some ways. He seems to understand that God's compassion and love is for the world. He seems to understand that God's heart were even for those dirty people over there, those Ninevites. He seemed to understand this. He seems to understand that the grace of God would be extended as those dirty, rotten people repent. He seems to get that. He seems to get the fact that, that God was not going to therefore distinguish between us and them. Jonah gets that about God, but even though he knew that, even though Jonah knew that, he sat on top of that hill, looking out over a city that had just repented, and he's moping, and he's mad, and he's discouraged, and he's even suicidal because God did what he knew God was going to do. And as they repented, he knew God was no longer going to distinguish between us and them. He knew that, and it just broke him, that God would forgive them the way he forgave us, that God would treat them the way he treats us and Jonah you see, you see at the heart, Jonah knew that God was going to forgive them and when they repented, he was going to bring them in and they were going to become in us. But at the heart, Jonah couldn't quite get there. Jonah, looking out over a city that had just repented, still saw them as a them. He still saw them as a them. And, and church, hear me, that, this is evil. This is anti-gospel. It's divisive, and it, and it seeks to bring down and make void the very thing that the gospel of Christ has secured, that there is no them in the family of God, that the dividing wall of hostility is gone in the family of God, that the gospel levels the playing field, and that we are all in need of the grace of God, and that we all stand on the gospel of Christ. He in the family of God, there is no us in them. There is brother and there is sister. 
And I, I want for a moment for us to talk about this really practically. As I mentioned earlier, this morning we're joined by Enlace Cristiano, and um, they're another church from our community. Brothers and, and sisters, and every week they meet together in our community uh, at 1, and at 1 o'clock in our community, the gospel is going forth in Spanish to our, to our community. We have, they have this passion, this mission, uh, similar to what we have at Stone Oak Bible, to see our community reached with the gospel, to see people come to faith in Christ, to see people growing in their faith in Christ. Hear me, their church doesn't look like ours. For starter, they're speaking Spanish, so most of you are done, including me. The second thing is they're meeting at one, and most of you are going down for nap time at that point. That wouldn't work. You laugh because you know it's true. But although we are different, we are united. We are, we are absolutely united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're united in our diversity. We are one. They are our sister church comprised of our brothers and our sisters. And here is why I say this. We began our time talking about some of the division and the strife, talking about the fact that our world around us, just seeing this us versus them. We started our time talking about the fact that our world needs to see the gospel of Jesus Christ expressed through the unity of his church. Let me just say that again. Our world needs to see the gospel of Jesus Christ expressed through the unity of his church. Here's the thing. If, though, our world were to look at the churches in San Antonio, Texas, right now, what would they see? Would they see us treating each other as though we were competition? Like, we're CVS and they're Walgreens and wherever one is, the other one is. I don't understand that, by the way. Um, would they see us working to establish ourselves and our name above theirs? Would they see us getting discouraged when the church across the street is seeing God just pour out miraculous things? Would they, would they see us get excited when a competitor church is struggling? Would they hear us bad-mouthing the bride? If our world looks in at us, and sees that. As the church, if they look in and they see that we are no witness for Christ and we are no witness for his gospel. If our world sees that and looks in and sees, they're simply seeing more of the us versus them mentality that they're used to everywhere else. We are called to showcase Christ and his gospel through our love and our unity and our bond together. This weekend, church, is really important for us as Stone Oak Bible Church. It's the beginning in a lot of ways because it, it helps us realize, it helps us realize that our gospel is so much bigger than us and any, bigger than any one church. It helps us realize that we are a part of something huge, something worth being a part of. It helps us celebrate in Lasse's win as, wins as though they were our own because they are. 
It helps us celebrate when God does miraculous things through their church. Because that's them. That's us. That, that, is, that is us. It helps us to develop a heart for other churches. So that we are the first ones who, when we hear a church is struggling, we're the ones interceding for them in prayer. We're the ones trying to figure out what we can do to help. It helps us realize, hear me, hear me, this is so important. It helps us realize that we are building up the name and the fame of Jesus Christ. Not the name or the fame of Stone Oak Bible Church. God has called us here at Stone Oak Bible Church. I believe it. And, and he loves our church more than I do. More than you do. And, and he's called us for a purpose that is so much bigger than us. And that's why we do all that we do. For example, this is why we plant churches. Uh, a few months ago, think about it. A few months ago, four months ago, which is crazy, we planted our first church. We sent out a group of people and, and planted a church on the west side of San Antonio, Mission Community Church. And right now, church, right now, there are a group of people gathered together on the west side of San Antonio who are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who would not come to our church, people who we could not reach, people from a completely different side of town, I am so grateful to be a part of that movement. I am so, we have so much to be grateful for, and it's so much bigger than any one church. Listen, I love our church. I love Stone Oak Bible Church. But over the past couple weeks, through Jonah and then through this week, as just preparing for this, um, church, God has been stirring my love for the global church just kind of stirring, shifting my perspective, not away from our local church. Oh, I still love our church. But he's stirring my, my affection and bringing excitement into my heart for the bigger mission of Christ that we are a part of. If we are going to reach our city, if we're going to reach our community, if we are going to reach our nation, if we are going to reach our world with the gospel, it is going to take churches who begin to see things through this perspective. The us and them has not worked. That we come together in our diversity, but we come together in unity. That the world would see our church see the church, see our love for each other, and that they will see the living and breathing gospel through the way we love each other. That they would see that church. That is what you are invited to be a part of.